Let's go. Welcome to Behind the Thread. My name is Callum. On this episode, we have the one, the only Sahil Bloom. Sahil, welcome to the show. What is up, man? I'm so happy to be here. Your first one in person. I know. And it's perfect as well because it's like Behind the Thread, the godfather oh, of the tweet man. thread. It's like it's meant to be. Oh, man. Well, I'm, I'm stoked <laughs> to be able to do it. I know we've been uh, trying to schedule this for a while and I'm excited to uh, to get to do it in person. I like as soon as you said in person, I was like, dude, I'm in. I like, I want to, <laughs> I want to go do this. I so prefer doing these in person and being able to like actually have an interaction with someone. So it's just, to do it. I think it's just a different energy in person. It's a better conversation. So I'm excited for people to hear it. Okay, cool. Let's jump straight into it. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to give you the intro and then I want to get your take on this. Okay. Hit so me. over 700,000 followers on Twitter, investor, author, newsletter with over 125,000 readers college baseball career at Stanford. I've listed off a bunch of your accomplishments. I'm not trying to embarrass you. Um, when you reflect on it, what gives you the most pride? What gives you that, that feeling of like, wow, like I did that. Like what's the, what's the craziest one for you? Being a dad. <laughs> I'm going to go completely <laughs> off base on your on whole list. bio, man. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, in all seriousness, look, I, um, I've defined myself in a number of different ways over the course of my life. Uh, one of the most interesting things about definitions is they stick with you, right? Like you, you define yourself in a certain way and then it becomes really, really difficult to change that definition. And it's really painful sometimes. And I'm sure you've had this in your life. I'm sure a bunch of listeners have had this in their life. Um, you feel the pain of that changed identity. You identify yourself a certain way. So my whole childhood, I was the like, baseball player right like I was like the jock that's kind of how I thought of myself my sister was the really smart one she was like the golden child in the family you know I always like felt competitive with her for a reason that was stupid but that like you know I thought she was the smart one and I had to define myself in a different way to mm. stand out uh and that was hard and I got to Stanford and I continued to think like oh I'm the jock I'm the baseball player and I got there and I remember getting punched in the damn mouth mm. you know like first day at Stanford metaphorically at the time, I did get punched in the mouth literally at some point <laughs> along the way there. But um, look, I mean, I went to class. I wasn't the smart one. I went to the baseball field. I wasn't the athletic one anymore. And I had to change that definition really quick. And so then, you know, the story of my life, I think, has been this story of like creation, destruction and rebirth. I don't know if you're mm. familiar with this concept. I, I'm, I'm half Indian. So this goes like it's an ancient Indian um, philosophy from a bunch of different Indian cultures of this whole idea that time I think a lot about time and time goes through these cycles of creation, destruction and rebirth. Um, and I think about that, you know, on a cosmic time scale. Yes. OK, I understand it. But within our own lives, I think we experience those. Hmm. So I think a lot about that. And I think a lot about it currently of like those periods of destruction in all of our lives are extraordinarily painful. But if you view them and you have a mindset shift around them as them being precursors to a rebirth, it tends to really be an amazing thing. Mm. And that's been the story of my life is like these sort of painful destructions followed by amazing rebirths that I think were precipitated by the fact that I had a mindset around that rebirth. Mm. You know what's you know what's so interesting? I think you see it on Twitter a bunch, you hear it on podcasts, on YouTube. When people talk about like, what's a defining trait of someone who who is successful, who achieves a lot in their life? And it's interesting because it's really this quality that they can turn what seem like losses into wins. They can turn like career defining moments that seem like a clear loss. And, and I can give an example, right? So one of the people I look at quite a bit is LeBron James. Mm. 
And obviously he has that final series where he's playing for the Heat against the Mavericks. And it's like complete embarrassment. Like people are making fun of him. Um, and it's interesting. I remember watching an interview with him and he speaks about, when he speaks about that moment, he's, he's grateful for it because it's like the, the development, the growth that came from that is like the player he is now. And it's interesting when you talk about creation, destruction, rebirth, it's like that destruction is a core component. You need in, it. You need it. And it has I'm, to be there. I'm curious, I'm curious for you. What would you say, like, what is your LeBron James Dallas Mavericks? What is that moment for you, if you were going to reflect <clears throat> on it? I've probably had two maybe three major ones in my life. Um, the first one is referenced in my Twitter bio, which is that I gave up a grand slam on ESPN mm -hmm. and have yet to see it land. That happened at Florida State in the biggest game of our season. We were, you know, hoping to go to Omaha, which is the College World Series, is like whole, you know, season riding on the on that game. Uh, I came into the game, you know, bases loaded, team is counting on you to like put up a zero, get them back in the dugout, get everyone fired up to go win and, you know, send the team on to, you know, the glory land. And I gave up a grand slam, which like baseball fan or not, it's the worst possible thing that you can do as a pitcher. Yeah. Um, and on the most public stage on national television, all my family and friends watching 10,000 fans in the stands, like, you know, at Florida State. So they hated us. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, now wife was there. My dad was there, which was the worst part of it. Um, like as public a failure as you can possibly imagine having at that age in your life and stage of your life. Um, and that was probably my first one, man, of like, oh, holy shit. You know, it doesn't get much lower than this. But now as I reflect back on that, all I think about is I got the next guy out mm -hmm. and I stayed out there. I wasn't dead and I got the next guy out. And I think about that so much now in life of like, you put on a pedestal these failures of like, oh my God, that's the worst thing. I mean, if I had imagined the worst thing that could possibly happen that game or that weekend, that mm -hmm. would have been the de definition of it. Mm -hmm. And you think you're going to be dead when that shit happens, right? Mm -hmm. Like you imagine yourself literally dying. Like, oh, I can't get back up. They're going to pull me out of the game. That's it. But I wasn't dead. Yeah. I was out there and I still got the next guy out. When I think about the lessons I took from it and I think about, you know, someday when my son is experiencing failure and I want to talk to him about it, that's the lesson that I draw from it is like, yeah. you got knocked down as bad as you could possibly get knocked down. But if you're not dead, you're still in the yeah. fight in that moment. And so that for me, I'm like, when I reflect on, it, I still get chills thinking about it of like, I got the next guy out. Yeah. Um, and that's what, you know, that that's for me, like, the most public one, certainly. I've ha I had another one that was privately, which we can talk about separately, but the most public one for sure. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I actually, um, Dame Dash said this. He was like, what if you experience your nightmare? Because I think he, he experienced like a terrible situation when he was young. And he said it was liberating for him. Because what if the worst thing that you could imagine happens it's like, there's nothing else. If you're still alive, if you're still around, you're still in the game, which is perfectly in yeah. your situation, right? Have you it's, heard of uh, Have you heard of fear setting? No, so break you'd, that down. You'd love this. Um, so Tim Ferriss, I think, was the first one to talk about this. He talked about it in Four Hour Work Week, but then he has a famous TED Talk where he talks about it. It's worth watching if people haven't seen it, but it's this exact concept. Basically, fears distort our reality, mm. is the idea. 
when you have a fear about some bad event happening or something happening, it distorts your reality. Like you think that fear is so much worse and so much more crippling than it mm. really is. Like it might be your fear of failing when you go and start a startup or start a podcast. You fear of your fear of failure that it's not going to be what you thought it was or that people aren't going to listen. So you don't do it yeah. or you're afraid of starting a business for X, Y or Z reasons because you think it's going to be crippling financially for your family or whatever. So you don't do it. And what he found was that when you actually go through the exercise of getting closer to your fears, like really deconstructing them and understanding them, you realize that your worst fears really aren't as crippling as you thought. And so the whole exercise is like, sit down, write down that fear and deconstruct it, figure out like, okay, what are the worst things that can happen if I go and do that thing? okay, how reversible are those? Like, can mm -hmm. I go and actually reverse those problems in my life if they do end up happening? And then what's the cost of inaction? Like, if I don't go do this thing, what mm -hmm. are the costs and the risks of not doing it? Like, am I going to regret it later in life? Is that going to be crippling for yeah. me? Uh, I've always just found that regret hurts a whole lot worse than failure. Mm. And that's like been a driving force in my life. If I don't go do something and I'm later now, later in my life looking back on it, that regret is going to hurt a whole hell of a lot more than just failing at it. Yeah. You know what's interesting, especially when I look at some of the things that you've achieved, you've gone through different stages. You've been able to recreate yourself, reinvent yourself, right? Like it started like in baseball, in finance, uh, obviously the Twitter following, you've had a podcast, like you've done so many different things and built yourself up in those arenas. I'm curious, like, what do you think about next? When we talk about regret, minimizing regret, I know that was something that Jeff Bezos spoke about, right? Like the regret minimization framework. And maybe you can break that down actually. Mm -hmm. um, in your mind now, what is the next thing when you're like, if I don't do that, that I'm gonna look back at that like 20, 30 years from now and be like, fuck, like how did I not do that? Yeah, so regret minimization framework you mentioned, one of my favorites. Basically, the idea was like when he was leaving to go start Amazon, he claims that this is how he thought about the problem, which is uh, he was at D.E. Shaw, which is this famous hedge fund. He was making millions. I mean, he was very, very successful, crushing it and decided to leave to go start a fucking online bookstore. Excuse my language. Uh, and it sounds ridiculous in hindsight. Now, now, when you look at it, you're like, yeah, obviously, go yeah. make that decision. But at the moment, it seemed probably totally ridiculous that you'd leave this like seven figure paying job to go do it. So basically, he said what he did was projected himself into the future. He's 80 years old, looking back on the decision. Would he regret not taking that leap and going and doing that thing? And the answer was yes. And so he ended up going and doing it. Um, you know, for me, as I think about that, and I think about regret, um, and what would I regret not doing? It's like, look, I think I've found my pathway personally of being able to impact millions and millions of people around mm. the world. When I was a kid, I cared a lot about legacy. I cared a lot about impacting, changing the world in some way. I always thought, you know, maybe I would do that by starting a company, building a company. Maybe I would do that by going into politics. I thought about running for office, like mm. oh, I'm going to go be president. That was what I wanted to do when I was a kid. Um, I've realized that you need to figure out what your unique advantage is. Like, what are you potentially special at? And for me personally, I think I can do it through written word. And I think I can do it by being in front of people and talking mm -hmm. to people and interacting with people. You know, I come from like a very diverse background, just, you know, ethnically, like, you know, I'm half, I'm half Indian, I'm half white, mm -hmm. uh, I'm half Jewish, half Hindu, like you play baseball, but also a super nerd. I've just come from like a pretty diverse set of experiences and backgrounds. And what that's always allowed me to do that I'm really grateful for is relate to a lot of different types of people. You know, I've like, um, 
grown up in a bunch of different circumstances with a bunch of different family backgrounds, bunch of different types of friends. And I love people. And mm -hmm. so I think what I will regret if I don't do it is pursue that, pursue that thread of like, how can I go out and reach millions and millions of people? And it's happened through Twitter so far. My newsletter continues to blow me away in terms of the people that I'm reaching and impacting through it. The book that I'm working on now is like my next phase of that. And I think is like a massive accelerant if it succeeds to mm. that entire vision. Um, so that's really my like guiding light and framework around how I'm thinking about things now is like, is this going to ultimately lead to me reaching more people with what I'm trying to do? I'm not particularly money motivated. Like mm. as far as people go, I, um, I've written about this, like sort of feel like I have enough at this point. Like I've, I've been very fortunate. I've done pretty well in my career and life financially. And um, yeah, I'm not like some, you know, deca millionaire or something like that, but I don't really care. Like, I don't yeah. really feel like I need a whole lot more than I do now. I personally think that I'll end up making a lot more money because I'm really loving what I'm doing and hopefully my energy comes across in what I'm mm. doing. And I've always found that when you do that, good things happen financially. But that's not my like intrinsic motivation when I wake up in the morning. It just has never been for me. It's why mm. I had to get out of finance, frankly. Yeah. You know what's so interesting on that point? I was actually, I was having this conversation with my older brother, it's like this weird paradox of life, which is like, as soon as you stop caring about the outcome, the outcome appears. And it's like, even if we give an example of Twitter, right? Like someone wants to grow their account. When you first get into it, every tweet you put out, you're like, did this perform? Did people mm -hmm. engage with this? Uh, like, how can I change it up so that someone would engage or like, you're so, focused on like, I want more followers. I want more engagement. I want these sets of people to be interacting with it. And through that process, you'll get humble to the point where it's like, you only just care about the process of writing better tweets. And it's like, once that starts to click in your mind and you really dedicate yourself to that process of just getting up every day. And it's interesting, right? Cause I, one of the people that I got early on the pod was um, Blake Burge. And I remember, Love cause Blake. I have- Love Blake, shout out Blake. Yeah, shout out Blake. <laughs> um, and I remember saying to him like, cause I have notifications set up for when he tweets. And I'm like, you are one of the most consistent tweeters that I've seen. Like every morning, like clockwork, this guy tweets. And obviously now he's had huge success, like hundreds of thousands of followers from doing it. And I think it's because of that. It's because he's just in the process of tweet of tweeting, of like just consistently putting out content. And it's such a powerful thing, right? And I think you're exactly right when you say like, the fact that you don't really care about making money probably means you're gonna make a boatload of money because you're just gonna, it's gonna be about the value creation. Yeah. The way I think about it is <clears throat> finite games versus infinite games. Mm. Uh, around all of this when you play finite games when you're thinking about the number of followers you have and you're trying to just grow your follower account or you're trying to just make a certain dollar figure it's very unfulfilling and it's very challenging to do over the long run man because you hit whatever that number was and then you immediately feel unsatisfied that you haven't hit the next one it's just mm -hmm. a treadmill you like you know with money it's Hey, I want to get a $10 million net worth. That's what I want. Like, that's my game. I'm going to get to 10 million. You get to 10 million and the next day you're like, 
well, shit, I don't feel any different. I want to get to 30 million. I'm like, that's my number. That's my thing. And the problem is that number just three X's. You hit it no matter what it is. It's three X that it's like Sisyphus is like the Greek myth of the, you know, you had his eternal struggle of pushing the boulder up the mountain and then it rolls all the way back down. That's all you're going to get into if you're playing those finite games. And it's the same thing with growing on social media. You're thinking about follower counts and that's all you think about is like, I want to get to 100,000 followers. I've done that. I didn't feel a damn thing the day I had 100,000 followers. I didn't feel any different. I was like, oh, that's cool. I got the, you know this number here. It's not like people are like, whoa, 100,000 followers, you're the coolest person in the world. Yeah. Like, no one's like praising you. And if you have you know people in your life that are humbling you, which is really, really useful, it doesn't matter. You don't feel any different. And so what I always try to focus on, what I talk to people about focusing on is those infinite games. It's the process. It's mm-hmm. thinking about finding love in those daily actions that you're taking and really enjoying that. And when you're doing things that you're really enjoying that, like Blake with, you know, writing the tweets, talking about Excel, the things that he's really enjoying doing, those results just materialize and compound at an insane rate that you never would have expected. Mm. And for me, I mean, like I I was going down the path of the money making route. I was in finance. I was like on the like golden track that everyone wants to be on. And I'm making so much more money now doing way less work, quote unquote, because it's things that I am so naturally good at. It doesn't feel like work. I'm just diving into it, enjoying it every single day versus forcing myself to work 80, 90 hour weeks doing something else. Yeah, It just doesn't work. It's finite games versus infinite games, man. You you know what it is? This is why it's so difficult. The ego hit is addictive. Mm. Like, even though I know you said like, when you got the 100,000 followers, it didn't mean anything. But what could mean something is when like, I don't know, maybe you're introducing yourself to someone, they search your account, they see 100,000 followers. Like that look, that respect that they suddenly give you, it's like an ego here, it's validation. And I think that's one of the most difficult things about success and like starting to reach a certain level is like your ego, it's, it's easier for your ego to get involved. So I'm curious from your perspective, like you've achieved a ton of stuff. We went, we went over it in the intro, right? And you, you mentioned having people around you that keep you humble, but I'm assuming it must still come up. There must be like moments where you're like, I did that. Like the <laughs> ego must like spur up. <clears throat> do you have that? Yeah. I mean, do ever, we all have ego yeah. um, in our own ways. Uh, fighting it is really important. You've read Ego is the Enemy, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Ryan Holiday, who I'm reading it know, right is now, one of actually. my favorite authors. Yeah got connected with him recently he's a fantastic human being too which is one of my favorite things when you meet someone that's one of your heroes and they're amazing so um that's fantastic look i mean it's uh it's unavoidable to experience some of that um and i think it's fine to feel proud of yourself when you accomplish something that you've worked really hard for the thing is like is it a moment of pride where you're like yo i'm in this like i did it Mm. or is it something that then you're going around with your chest puffed up every single day because i have always found in my entire life whenever you do that whenever you're walking around with your chest puffed up that's when you get knocked the hell out Mm. by something i don't know what it is it just happens like and i'm not even a big believer in this whole like universe energy all you know like all that stuff i'm not like 
you know, woo woo about all these things happening in the world. I'm not particularly religious, but for whatever reason, when you puff yourself up like that for too long period of time, you get knocked out. Yeah. And it happened to me in baseball. Like I would, you know, I'd have a couple good games in a row and then you'd see me like swaggering over to the field. I'd have my headphones in. I was like playing Drake, you know, thinking I was legit and I would get rocked. Whatever that, that next game you. was, man, I would that get Drake rocked like without yeah. fail. I was getting wrecked. Same thing academically. Like I'd start thinking I was hot shit in some class or at work, like start thinking I had had it all figured out. I knew how to invest. I knew what the game was. And then you get smoked. And that's the important thing is like you have to separate having that moment of pride, being able to say like, damn, I'm proud of myself because that, I think that's so important. Like you have to love yourself around these things. Yeah. Um, I don't talk about that a lot, but like my positivity more than anything else is my brand, right? Like I'm a very positive guy. You won't see me say negative shit on mm. social media because I'm a very positive person. And I believe that we all need to be a little bit more positive with each other and with ourselves. And so you need to take those moments when like when you accomplish something, you're doing your first episode in person right now. That's yeah. a cool accomplishment, man. It's like, yeah. man, I went through seasons like I grinded away, did the remote thing. Now I'm able to like go and invest in doing something in person. You know, hopefully a guest that you are excited to have on the show for the first <laughs> one in person. And like, that's cool. You should say to yourself, like you should go be able to go home tonight and be like, damn, I did that. I yeah. did that thing. And like enjoy and appreciate that moment. Because if you don't, those like they just pass you by. Right. You want to be able to appreciate it. But then the next morning, you got to be able to get up and be hungry yeah. for whatever that next thing is, because, you know, it's like that famous uh, story of like in the, you know, uh, in the wild, in the African savanna. It's like the lion gets up every morning and it needs to run in order to mm. eat. The gazelle wakes up every single morning. It needs to run in order to not get eaten. Mm. And the whole point is when you wake up in the morning, you damn well better be running. Yeah. Whatever it is. Uh, and I think about that a lot, man. I'm like, we're, we're all just in some position. And I don't like you, you say, I feel like I've achieved. I don't sit here thinking like oh, I've achieved a bunch of things. I'm like, man, I'm in inning one. I'm getting started. Like I just am feeling like I'm getting started. And I have the same concerns, stresses, struggles every single day as I did when I had a thousand followers and none of this was real. So I don't feel any different. I certainly feel happier because I'm doing something that I enjoy every single day. And I have a life that's much more shaped to things that I get to do, uh, experience in a way that I never imagined I would have. Yeah. But I don't feel different. Yeah. You know, I, um, have you watched like the Avengers films? No. Oh, okay. There's like this, um, my analogy is going to be a bit weird now. That's all right. <laughs> you messed I up like my weird analogies. analogies. <laughs> Man, I drop weird analogies all day. <laughs> so, um, obviously the villain in Avengers is Thanos. Yeah. And spoiler for anyone that wants to watch Avengers. It's been out for years, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling it at this yeah. point. Um, but there's, um, I'll, I'll say it like this. There's a moment in one of the films where like Thanos kind of achieves his aim. Okay. And he almost like goes to this other planet and he's just, I think the final scene, he's like sitting in a, like a field and he just smiles. Like it's like the job's done. Mm -hmm. It's like, you've done all of this. You've done like a long, hard day or days, years, decades of work. And you're just like sitting back. You're like, I did it. And to be honest, like we all have those moments throughout our life where you're like, you're chasing something, you're in the process of trying to achieve something and then you finally get it. And it's not even getting it that means something. It's that moment where you can like just sit back and just be like, wow, like best, man. I did it. Like it's a beautiful <clears throat> thing. I'm curious, like, and, and it was interesting because after, after Thanos did that, he kind of just, like it was over for him. Like yeah. he's like, oh, I'm done. Like, yeah. Do you think that there's a point for you where it's like, 
that sit back in your chair, like I'm ready to check out. Like I'm just like, obviously you'll still have like a family and like something like that you're you're living for and enjoying, but that you'll just be like, I don't feel like the lion that needs to wake up tomorrow yeah. and go and like hunt some shit. Like I'm just gonna, I'm gonna chill. Like it's done. I think it depends how you're wired. Yeah. Uh, your internal wiring is like very uh, important for whether you end up wanting to have that checkout moment or not. I'll give you an example. The Google guys, the Google founders, you know, I don't know what they're worth, tens, hundreds of billions of dollars, kind of checked out. Like mm -hmm. they, you don't hear about them. They're not really like running big venture firm. They're not like going to space like Bezos and Musk. They sort of built their thing and they're kind of just like off the radar and not doing a whole lot. And from what I understand about them, like they made their hundreds of billions and they're chill. Like they're mm -hmm. happy to chill. They're like PhDs. They're just like, I think they're just stoked. Like they're just happy. Uh, then you get someone like a Jeff Bezos, hundreds of billions of dollars. Now he wants to go to space. Elon Musk, same thing, like wants to save humanity or whatever the hell he's doing, you know, this day, um, buying Twitter. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm like, again, I'm not motivated by money. So my, the end point for me is like, I want to impact people. If I still feel like I'm impacting people in some way, shape, or form, I want to keep doing that. I love being around people. That's what I get the most energy from. Like this conversation, I'm getting a ton of energy from. It's a blast for me to yeah. do. If I can do that at scale with tons of people around the world, different you know societies, different cultures, different religions, different backgrounds, if I can do that as a living and get paid for it, like mm. that's insane to me. That's so cool. Um, and so will I ever want to just stop doing that? I don't think so. Mm. Um, because there's not, again, it's like finite versus infinite. There's not some end. Like I'm not sitting here with 700,000 followers, whatever I have on Twitter and saying like, I want to get to a million. Mm. And when I get to a million, I'm just going to stop. Cause I don't, I don't, I'm not going to feel any different. It's going to mm. be cool. I'm going to be like, damn, a million people. That's cool. But then I'm going to just continue writing and put out whatever my next thing is. And yeah. that's literally what I've done every single week for the last two and a half years or whatever it is that I've been writing on Twitter. Same thing with my newsletter. Like there's not just some end when you're playing infinite games. Yeah. You know what? I want to, um, I love that point of just like the infinite games. I think it's so good, but I want to, I want to switch, switch track slightly and actually get deeper into the content mm -hmm. because I think for a lot of people and, and even up front, I called you like the godfather of the tweet thread, right? <laughs> Which is like, I think a lot of people that, that write on Twitter consistently that put out tweet threads, I feel like they look at your content and they're like, that is the standard. And it's interesting. I actually remember having this conversation with, I think it was with Blake. We were talking about your content and I was like, I realized from recording this podcast and like the process of doing the episodes and even just like watching back the, the film, like watching myself back, I was like the most authentic content wins. So it doesn't have to be perfect. It's like people can just feel it when it's authentic, when it's in the moment, when it's unplanned, it's organic. And I was, and I was saying to Blake, I was like, Sahil does this thing where the content is very authentic but it's polished, which is like, you don't tend to get that combination. Usually the like byproduct of authenticity is that it seems kind of rough around the edges. It seems kind of random. And then, and I think at the time it was when you were doing um, 
you know, you had those like series of tweet threads. It's like a Sunday evening. Whiskey. Two whiskey. Yeah, yeah, two yeah, whiskeys yeah. deep. Yeah. And I was like, it's it's so authentic. It's like, oh, I, like it's almost as if like, oh, I just have my phone in my hand. Like I didn't even plan to do this. And I'm just writing out this tweet thread. But then you you read the points and it's like boom, 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 boom. Like it's punchy. Like it's like, it's like you were preparing for it. I'm just so curious, man, to just hear about like your process of creating content and even getting to that level where it's like, it seems prepared and authentic and organic mm -hmm. at the same time, which is like a crazy thing to be able to achieve, right? So there's a lot to unpack here. Um, first off, I, I very early on had a realization around content that all content would eventually be creatable by AI, written content. Mm -hmm. That and this is like you know in 2020 before now now it feels like oh shit yeah it's all really happening. Yeah. Uh, but very early on, I started thinking like hmm, you know a lot of the things you're writing, uh, you know your your original thoughts cannot maybe be reproduced by an AI immediately. Maybe eventually when it has like real you know human intelligence, but a lot of it can be at least like somewhat closely written. And so what I learned early on and what I thought about early on was like, I need to develop a relationship with the people that are following me. This needs to feel like a human connection one-to-one, -one, like I'm writing for them. And the way that happens and what I understood and what I still believe is that it's through personality mm -hmm. uh, because a human personality sitting behind that face and that avatar on Twitter or on a newsletter or on YouTube, whatever, is really, really important that you feel that connection with someone because there's all these faceless accounts, right, that put out this like garbage, you know, oh, here are the Chrome extensions or here are the psychological hacks yeah. or whatever. And they're faceless accounts. I don't know if they have bots retweeting them or whatever yeah. the game is that they're playing with the like, you know, engagement hacking. Uh, and there's a lot of people who are doing that too, by the way. And if there's no personality, how loose that connection is with your follower, it's going to show in the mm -hmm. long run. Like you might have the numbers and the vanity metrics, but people don't give a shit about what you're saying. And mm -hmm. like when you go say something that you're doing that's not a thread about X, Y, or Z, they're just not going to be there because there's mm -hmm. no relationship. There's no connection. And so I thought about that very early on when I was starting to build. I was like, hmm. I really need to make sure that I'm developing that connection both through engaging with people and actually like really like responding to DMs. I've had my DMs open forever for that reason, uh, replying to people that reply to my tweets and then through the content, through having personality behind it, through having it feel like a real person that's authentic and that's experiencing the struggle in the same way that they are, right? Mm -hmm. Like my goal always has been, I don't want to be a teacher. Like I don't want to be teaching anyone anything because I don't feel mm -hmm. that way. I'm a student alongside you in all of this. And so when I'm sharing things, it's because it's stuff that I'm wrestling with in real time. When I'm talking about wrestling with time and the challenges of time management or the challenges of, you know, your parents getting older, relationships with your kids, that's literally stuff I'm experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis and feeling. And now I'm sharing it. Mm -hmm. And I have a platform where now I can share those things that I know if I'm experiencing them, millions of other people are. And so I can reach people with that. But that human connection and that personality connection was like, so tied in from the get-go to what I was trying to build. And it started with Twitter and then it extended a newsletter. Now I'm extending it into video content with Instagram and you know YouTube soon. But that is really, really important. And that's central to how I've thought about it. And if anyone is getting started today, I would encourage you to separate that from the vanity metrics of follower growth. Because what you'll learn over the coming years is the people that have like built follower accounts just for the sake of follower accounts, hmm. 
they're not going to have a good time with it in terms of getting to the ends that they were trying to get to. It's just a very, very loose connection and it's not there. And so like all of these threads that, you know, like people that are really trying to write great content that really care about the content they're putting out, they're not sharing like, you know, here are 10 YouTube channels that'll change your life, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen that thread 8,000 times. I mute every single person that does it now. The yeah. first time I see someone put, put one of those out, I just mute it because I'm like, you just playing a hack. It's just a growth. It's you just playing a game now. Mm. Podcasts, Chrome extensions, like people are just playing the game because they've seen it and they're trying to fast follow on to get a bunch of followers. But that's not how you play these infinite games. Mm. Like the infinite games are from writing about things you actually care about and that you deeply care about. And so other people eventually will come to you. Should you hustle for distribution and try to like have a collective of people that will support you in those early days to get your ideas out there? Absolutely. Like I'm not uh, negating that at all. But write about things you care about and that shows mm. and that connection builds over time. It might be slower than you want. You mm. might grow at a trickle pace compared to the guy that's doing the like growth hacking. But in the long run, that's what matters. Mm. I'm thinking about this is where, always where my mind goes with stuff like this, because I think it's such a great point of like it, it's, it's this weird combination in life where you have to be almost like patient and impatient at the same time. You need the urgency of being impatient, but you need kind of what you're talking about with infinite games that you can have that mindset where it's like, because let's be real, like when you don't have followers and you're seeing the guy do the oh, 10 YouTube channels oh, it sucks. and he's blowing up, you're like... Yeah, I need what to the do, hell? Yeah, I need yeah to and you're pissed. You're like, oh, this is bullshit. Yeah, yeah like, no, I, I totally get <laughs> yeah. it, man. I totally get it. Um, and the draw towards it is very strong. That's why I say it. It's like, I, it's why I'm saying this message is because I think it's important that people know, like, it's that's not the game you want to start getting into. And honestly, mm. the people you care about that you want to see your stuff and say, like, wow, that's really good. They're not seeing those YouTube threads and saying that the people yeah. that you care about, like the legit people that you really are trying to attract into your universe are not they're cringing at that kind of stuff right like it's it's the type of stuff that is like not creating the the uh growth that you want and so it's really important to your quote or um that you just said about like the patience idea naval said that best he said you have to be impatient with actions mm. so hustling every single day impatient with actions but patient with results mm. so you have to be hustling on a daily basis but then patience around those long-term compounding things that you're doing um and look for me like I didn't have some viral hack that got me to where I am on mm. any of this. Like I, if you go back and look my growth, I don't think I've ever had a single thread get me over 10,000 followers. Um, my growth to where I am today has literally been because I've posted at least one thread a week for 125 straight weeks, mm. something like that. Um, every single week without fail during that entire period, holidays, days off, whatever, like every single week for that whole time. Most of them were probably like they probably got me like 1,000 or 2,000 followers. I didn't do some engagement hack, you know, thread that got me 20, 30,000 followers. I've seen people do that. That's great. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm happy for them. Uh, and I hope that it, le you know, like, I'm super positive. Like, I, I hope it leads to what they want. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, if you play that game over a long time, every now and then, you know, you want to do it, sure, go for it. But like, Morgan Housel has said this best. It's like, Write about things you actually care about. Mm. Stop playing into the algorithm. Stop like just playing into the nonsense that gets kind of like shared around out there. Just write about things you care about and you'll attract people that care about the yeah. same things you do. You know, it's actually, um, it's a beautiful thing for the audience when someone does that because, um, and I think people have it with like music artists, with comedians, with creators in general, which is like, 
when you're an early supporter of someone and they're kind of a bit niche, like then no one really knows what they're doing. It's not mainstream, but they just keep doing that and perfecting it, getting a little bit better over time. And it's like, you get to follow their journey five, 10 years. And it's this funny thing that happens where like the mainstream comes to them. And now they are like, they're the standard. But to your point, it started with them just doing them. They made the audience come to them, right? Like, even if you look, um, and it's it's just funny what you say when it's like, all the people that you look at and you admire, they all did that. Look at Elon Musk, right? Like, when when he was first getting involved in Tesla, no one was thinking about electric vehicles or like saw it as it is, but he made the market come to him. Mm-hmm. And now you have like these massive car companies trying to replicate what he does, which is completely unimaginable. Um, the, and th- the quote on that, by the way, that is like, I always have loved is that the way to achieve those enormous successes is everyone has to agree with you later. And so it's like, it's so, so good because that really is like all of these cases, call it variant perception. In the moment, you have to have a view and a vision on the future that sounds absolutely crazy. Mm. And that just seems totally crazy, but that later everyone's going to agree with. And you don't know that in the moment. You're just crazy. Like, Mm. right. Elon Musk was just crazy when he was talking about Tesla being what it was going to. I mean, SpaceX is even crazier. Like, I'm going to start a private rocket company. Yeah. And it's going to completely change the face of how we think about space and the space economy. Ludicrous at the yeah. time. Absolutely ludicrous. Now we think about it, we're like, damn, SpaceX is a dope company. They're landing rockets. Yeah. Like they're re-landing rockets onto a thing. And people don't think he's crazy. Now people think he's like God's gift to humanity yeah. and an and entrepreneur, like the best entrepreneur in the world. But people thought he was nuts. And so that's key. I mean, it's the same thing with content. As you think about creating or if you're a creator on YouTube or wherever it is, like, you are going to seem crazy for a period of time when you're spending hour. I mean, I was spending eight hours on a weekend writing my first things to a thousand people that were following me or 2000 people that were mm. following me. That seemed ludicrous. Luckily, it was during COVID. And so I wasn't missing out on like parties or going out because yeah. there was literally nothing going on. And my wife is a saint and never said anything to me about it. But it seemed crazy, right? Like I was spending all this time on something that was making me no money and that no one was really listening to like you know i was getting 25 likes on something that i spent eight hours on like it it seems ridiculous Mm. and now when i look back on it, i'm like damn changed my life that was worth doing Mm. and it seems crazy for me to not do that now back and looking in the past and things that have happened to me along the way that you listed out so it's just a fact of life i mean it's it's how it's gonna be you're gonna seem crazy until you aren't yeah you know that you know the crazy thing about in your example as well is like there wasn't a model for it like i think now when I just observe and look on Twitter, there's a bunch of people who have done the consistent tweet threads and you even hear people say it. It's like, I'm gonna post every day. I'm gonna do one to two tweet threads a week. I'm gonna let that play out over a year, two years, see what happens. Like there's a model for it. When you were doing it, it's like just shooting in the dark. Like it's like, this might create some value. Tweet threads weren't even a thing. Yeah. You did, there wasn't even a functionality when I first started doing them. You had to actually physically add tweets. Like you'd post one, and then you'd comment underneath it, and then you'd comment underneath it, and then you'd comment underneath it. And they would be like a minute apart because you were actually yeah. posting them underneath. There wasn't like the built-in functionality yeah. when I started doing it. But look, I mean, every market has early entrance, mm. and you reap the biggest rewards. So like, I think it's 
when I look at it now, I'm like, man, it's going to be hard for someone to get to the scale that I'm, I've at least gotten to or to like the connection that I've gotten to because it's just more competitive now. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a market, right? Like it's going to be really hard for a new, uh, you know, electric vehicle company to come in and compete with Tesla mm-hmm. on brand because they've done that for so many years. They've had all the issues. They've had the failures. I mean, I've experienced all those things. People are now benefiting from all of the failures that I had along the way because people mm-hmm. have learned and improved it and gotten better. There's people though, you know, now that I think like, dude, there's a tactical model of exactly how you're going to go do it. But like the creator thing and the audience building thing, that wasn't like a path at the time when I was doing this. Mm. I didn't, I I never sat down in those early days and said like, this is going to be my job Mm. or this is how I'm going to make money or that I could like start businesses off this or that I could raise a fund on the back of it or that I could do these. I mean, I was experiencing it in real time with like, a group of friends that we were all sort of doing it. I mean, I was in a group chat and this group chat was, it was called a hundred K club. Mm. Um, Cause we were all trying to get to a hundred thousand followers on okay, Twitter. That was the sweet. game we had. Like we all had 15, 20,000 followers at the time. And it was me. It was Sean Puri. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Sam Parr, uh, Julian Shapiro, Greg Eisenberg, uh, Nick Huber okay. and Nikita beer. So all, all guys like you kind of a crazy eclectic group of like crazy people. Yeah. And now we're like some of the closest friends. Like we're all still in this group chat. Obviously, everyone now is over 100,000, but like doing weird, crazy things in different. Nikita's got his app that's number one in the app store. He's been talking about that for six months in our group <laughs> chat. We knew about it like just crazy. Yeah. Everyone's going on and do crazy stuff. And now we're close friends. But like we were in this kind of struggle together and we were just learning as we went. Like Sean launched this rolling fund. I was like, what the hell is that? Like you can have your audience help yeah. you with you know, raising a fund like that seems dope. And so I was learning from him. You know, people were learning from me and the like random things I was doing on the thread side or from the writing perspective. I was learning from Julian about beautiful writing because he's an unbelievable writer that you don't see much from on Twitter anymore. Um, But that like that was the most fun part of it. Like you're in Mm. the trenches with a group of people that you're trying to figure it out. And I don't know what that new thing is right now. Right. Like there's something I don't know what it is, but there's something in social media, on Twitter, on YouTube, like on Instagram, in these places that someone is innovating and doing something new that is different. And they're mm-hmm. going to be building for like what that future looks like. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, I like, I'll be excited to see what that is. I just don't know. Yeah. You know, you know, what's interesting as you were speaking, I was thinking about like the next Sawhill Bloom or like you, you hear this in every industry in sports you hear it all the time like um i'm from the uk i watch a lot of football you hear like the next cristiano ronaldo the next Lionel messi and i think sometimes when people think about it they think too literally Mm. like the next sahil bloom isn't someone that just writes tweet threads and then blows up from writing tweet threads it's someone who takes the the lessons like the core from what you did which was that you did something also with a group of guys, which I want to get into because I think the support group is like very underrated part of achieving anything mm-hmm. is the support group. But it's really like the, the lesson from what you did is like you did something for a long period of time and it's the uncertainty. I think the uncertainty of not knowing this will succeed mm-hmm. is why there was such an outsized opportunity for you. Because I think now what you're saying is like, there's a model now, which it's it, because there's a model, there's more people in it. It's, yeah. a, it's way more competitive. It's yep. And it's like, even with Elon Musk, right? Like he went into the unknown and he managed to come out and now he's like, the opportunity for him is ridiculous. And I think that is really the lesson. It's like, do stuff that 
you care about and let yeah. the let the people come to you. But it's also, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm also thinking there's also so many examples of people that are like, they're doing some niche thing and they're like, the people will come and it just never happens. Yeah, it's survivorship bias, yeah. man. You, you hear about the ones that work out. Yeah, yeah like yeah, for every Elon Musk, there's like thousands of- Thousands. Yeah. And you only hear about the survivors. So yeah. you have to be aware of that and you have to know when to quit or when to change or pivot, um, you know, whatever that is along the way. And you have to be able to like, step back and to your point on having a support group and having people around you that will call you on your bullshit. I talk about this a lot. Mm. Most of us need fewer friends and more intellectual sparring partners. Mm. And what I mean by that is like friends are easy to come by, man. Those are like the people that are like, Hey, great job, man. Sahil. Awesome thread, bro. Like, yeah. you know, that looked really good. This was really good. Like you're doing great, man. You got a few thousand followers. You're killing it. Yeah. Intellectual sparring partners will call you on your shit. That's the person that comes out and says like, it's not good enough, man. No one cares. That's not working. This angle doesn't seem right. You're not qualified to talk about that. Like, how are you going to build credibility in X, Y, or Z areas? Mm. Maybe you should be thinking about video. You're really good on camera. You're not as good, you know, when you're writing stuff. Your writing's kind of crappy. It's sloppy. Yeah. Should have spent more time on that. That's what an intellectual sparring partner does. Those people are 10x as valuable as the friends that come around. And they can mm. be a friend, but they need to be able to call you on your shit and be able to be candid with you and give you that feedback. And so we need to find those people and build that tribe, like that growth tribe in our life of those people mm. that are willing to push you, mm. that are willing to pressure test your stuff. Because otherwise, it's really hard to know when to quit. It's really hard to know when to change or when you have to pivot around these things. And then you fall victim to survivorship bias like we talked about. So, mm. I mean, I think that is I think that is so important. And you, I mean, you realize we all stand on someone's shoulders and then someone will stand on our shoulders. That's mm. the way of the world. That's how it should work. It's an mm. amazing thing. Like I hope everyone listening to this, like I hope there are so many people that get inspired by some of the stuff we're talking about and that they hit me up and wants, you know, want help or that it inspires them to go and, you know, jump into their next thing. And then they succeed with it and they feel like they're standing on my shoulders to be able to see further. I think that's an amazing thing. I think about the people I'm standing on the shoulders of, I mean, Tim Ferriss, you know, like, I don't know, Tim, never met him in person. I hope to, mm. I hope to talk to him. Um, but he created this category of like what I am trying to build around, right. Of like a person who has this like life hack, you know, uh, all like optimization around different areas of his life because of his diverse interests and the things that he's willing to pursue due to his curiosity and his insane mind. Um, that is like who I'm standing on the shoulders of. And when I look mm. and I'm writing this book and I'm trying to envision what it looks like and I'm trying to like have a vision for what my future looks like, I'm looking at him, man. And like he's unbelievable and incredible and inspiring to me in that way. Doesn't even know who I am. Doesn't mm. even know who I am, right? So like that's an amazing thing that someone like that has inspired you to go after and go and do things. And like I feel like I've achieved, you know, you say things that I've achieved. Like, yeah, I've done a few things, but that's the guy that I'm looking at. There's like there's mm. always someone. I'm sure he's got someone. When he's sitting back and saying like, damn, I don't know who that is and like what, you know, who he feels like he stood on the shoulders of, but there's someone I can guarantee it. Um, so that, I mean, like, I just think that's so important. It's, it's the cycle. It's like pay it forward, man. That positivity, mm. when you have that positivity and the positive sum intentions around what you're doing, it comes back to you tenfold. Mm. And again, to the universe point, I don't know how it happens. But when you have that type of positive intention, when you're willing to help people genuinely and be mm. great, you know, be grateful for what you've been given and pay it forward, good things start happening in your life. Yeah, no, that's amazing. You know, I want to I want to lock in on what you said about intellectual star sparring partners. And I think the reason 
And you know, actually, I think it's a great point. I was one of the people I've been looking at recently because I, I love media. Like I even from like a strategic point, not even just creating content, like the, the strategy, the mindset behind it. And one of the people I've been looking at recently is Mr. Beast. Hmm. And like the guy's story is incredible. Like he's like 24 or 23 or 24. Who's Mr. Beast? <laughs> <laughs> like every, if you're on, if we're watching yeah. this on YouTube, like yeah. everyone knows him. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's been producing content since he was like 11. Yeah. And I remember one of the things that he was saying, um, I think when he was like 13, 14, 15, like just starting to get going on, on YouTube, he had a group of guys and they would be posting like every day, recording, posting every day. And then they would meet during the day to like, just talk about what worked. And it's the same thing that you had, right? For Twitter. And I think if you went in anyone's story, there would be a similar group where that starts. I think the reason why it's hard for most people to get those sort of sparring partners is like, it takes a lot of trust, which is like, if I was going to read one of your threads and be like, yeah, it's just shit. And then I was going to tell you that uh, the way that people, most people would react to that wouldn't be good. So even if I'm giving you the feedback, I have to trust that you're going to receive it in a way where it's like, we're not fighting after this. Like you're not going to take it personally. You're just going to listen to the feedback and enact on that. But that that's difficult to do, right? It's difficult to have those sort of, relationships and so i think i want to give people something that they can they can take it away and they can like input that into their life what do you think allows people to have that sort of comfort and that trust like how do you even build those relationships to a point where it's like i could be i could read one of your tweets and be like yeah this is not it and here are the three reasons why and I can trust that I can give you that feedback and you're just gonna listen, not respond negatively and just put action behind that. Yeah, I mean, look, it's relationship building 101. Uh, you have to be able to give and receive feedback and feel safe doing that. Mm. And that's an important trait in business and in these things that we're talking about, it's an even more important trait if you're planning to get married and have a, you know, have a serious relationship with someone. Um, you have to be able to give each other feedback constructively and not feel offended by it. And you have to be able to give that feedback in a way that is not offensive. Like, you know, I, mm. I don't come to you and say like, hey, you know, this is garbage. Yeah. You suck. You should you should quit. That's not how you give that feedback. You know, yeah. it's like, look, here are some of the things I see working for you. I think you're great at X, Y and Z. I don't think you're quite as good at writing. Um, you know, your writing's not as polished. Here are some of the ways that I see people writing that are better than yours. You can work at this and continue to build around it. But I really think you should be prioritizing video because you are a killer on camera and people love seeing your face. They love the way you speak about these things. That's a much nicer way of saying the whole thing. You're much more likely to take that mm. feedback, hear it, internalize it, and start thinking about what you can do to get better from it. So Building that into just who you are as a person is just an important trait for life. Mm. Being able to give and receive feedback really well. You will always continue to grow, right? It's like part of being a growth mindset is being able to give and receive feedback really well. When you find those people, 
and you start building that tribe, that trust gets built over time. It wasn't overnight. You know, we didn't start this group chat and start calling each other out on shit that was bad. It was built. It was like random playful banter as friends talking back and forth, like talking smack about different things. And then there would be a serious thing and we'd talk about something that came up. I mean, the best example of this group, which is an insane life thing for me, was like I was starting to decide and think about I was having a bit of an existential crisis in my life. I'd lived really far away from my family. I was starting to think about changing jobs, changing roles. And this group was the biggest reason that I ended up basically quitting my job to go all in on the things that I was doing personally. And it was literally because they asked me to lay out like in the group chat, just asked me to lay out like, okay, um, what are the two options? Like you can stay in investing and like lay out what that looks like kind of continuing down this like path that you're on. Or what is your other option? Like what is the alternative to it? And I laid out, you know, going all in on my Twitter and the newsletter and probably raising a small fund and trying to write more and building that and the podcast, whatever. I laid out the other path. And basically they said to me, like, look, it sounds like you're choosing between something that you're really drained by and something that you seem to have a lot of energy around. And when they said that, I was like, holy, like blew Mm. my mind. Sounds so simple and obvious now looking back on it. In the moment, I just never thought of it that way. I never viewed it as like, oh my God, I'm getting so much energy from these things I'm doing. I'm so excited by it. It was just not in my sphere of understanding or in my sphere of the decision that I was making. And they said it. And the next day was when I made the decision. And I jumped into this new thing, completely changed my life, completely changed my trajectory, simply because they asked me to think about it a little bit differently than I had been reframed it a little bit. So these groups, this type of thing, I call it a growth tribe. You know, intellectual sparring partners are like individuals, a tribe of people like that um, is such a massive unlock for your life that I just think everyone will benefit from having that. And you don't build it overnight and you don't build it with a snap of your fingers and say, like, I want my growth tribe and you mm-hmm. go do it. It's it's slow. I mean, you, you connect with someone on the Internet and DMs and you're like, oh, I kind of vibe with this person. Like Blake Burge is a great example, man. He's become a close friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um we originally just like connected, I don't know, through DMs or something. And we started kind of connecting. I was like, I really like this guy's energy around life. Like he's a great dad, mm-hmm. really cares about being a dad, really cares about being a good husband. His like his uh, his moral code, the things that he cares about, his principles, his values. I didn't give a shit about his writing, man. It's like mm-hmm. it is what that's the last thing that was on my mind um, of like, you know, his tweet threads or what he was doing. It was like. I wanted to support him because of the person that he was and why, like I wanted to see a person like that elevated. And so I was supporting him from day one, man. If you go back and look, like I was commenting on his yeah. stuff every time when he was posting. Cause I was like, man, I like I like this guy's energy. I like what he's about. I want to see him win. I want to see it. And I loved his consistency and the way that he showed up every day. And that's someone now that I consider a close friend in my life. Never met him in person still to this day. I hope to obviously, mm-hmm. but still haven't met him in person, but we talk every single day. Um, And that's just like how these relationships get built, man. It's like those little things. You start to feel a connection with someone. You start to turn that into, you know, it's one person that turns into a group. You're supporting each other. You're building around it. Whether there's structure or not, it's like a group chat is all it takes these days. Mm. That's all it is. Mm. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. And it reminds me of the the quote, like it takes a village to raise a child, right? (laughs) And And you never know when that, when that, one connection is going to be the one that leads to the amazing things in your life, by the way. That's another important point is like, you can't predict it. It's like the Steve Jobs thing of, you know, you had that quote, um, he dropped out of college at Reed College is the story. And when he dropped out, he was free to take whatever classes he want. 
and so he went and took a calligraphy class of all things mm. uh you know like nice writing yeah and that's ridiculous like there's no possible use for a calligraphy class yeah. in like any legitimate you know like business case yeah and then 10 years later or something he's building the first mac computer and it was the first computer that had beautiful fonts because he took the lessons that he learned from this calligraphy class and applied it into the typefaces as they were building it and if he hadn't taken that calligraphy class no computer ever would have had beautiful fonts because then everyone copied the Mac computer and the beautiful typefaces mm -hmm. that they had. And what he says is like, you cannot possibly connect that dot looking forward. When he took mm -hmm. the calligraphy class, he never would have known ever that that was going to be a thing. But in reverse, when you look back, you can connect those dots and they're very clear in your mind. And so he says that like, have faith that the dots in your future will somehow connect. You just mm -hmm. have to have faith. And I think about that a lot with relationships. It's like, the most impactful relationships in my life started with the most innocuous moment and connection. And like, mm. I never would have known that this relationship would have been important. I've talked about it on different things, but like Tim Cook has been an amazing mentor and, and friend to me in my life. Um, when I first met him, it was at the gym at 5 a.m. at Equinox in Palo Alto. And he just happened to be one of like six people that was crazy enough to show up every morning at 4.45 in the morning. And I did that for six months, not knowing who he was. He didn't wear glasses or anything like, you know, he wasn't dressed yeah. up. I wasn't in tech, so I didn't really know like CEOs of these companies, but I was showing up every single morning and I was friendly with the people that were around because we were all there. It was like we were in the trenches together doing this thing. And I never would have thought that that would have been someone that would have then become a big part of my life and influence how I thought about the world, influence my decision to then go all in on this thing I'm doing, been a supporter of that. Um, and it was just that innocuous moment. Like I could never have connected that dot. Mm from showing up at the gym super early because that was how I was wired. I was disciplined. I wanted to show up early in the morning. I never could have connected that dot to starting a relationship that would have impacted my life in the way it has. Mm. And yet it did. So you have to have faith that those dots will somehow connect in your past. Mm. I think that's such a key word is just faith. Like, and, and, and where my mind goes with it, it's like, if you do good things, good things will happen. It's like you have to... And, and it goes to the point of like the power of momentum of just keep be, keep going at it. I'm curious, you mentioned Tim Cook and I've heard on other podcasts and just from following you, um, also meeting like Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. I'm sure you've met like a bunch of people at, at this point who are like almost like mind blowing, like just incredible people to me. I'm curious, do you have someone in your mind that like, and maybe it's not even someone on that level, but you just met them and like their energy, it could be their energy, their demeanor, just the way that they are. It just really stood out to you. Like it was just super impressive. And in general, like what kind of does, I think you almost alluded to it with the way that you described Blake, like being a good like father, being a good person, but what, when you meet someone, what impresses you? Like what stands out to you? It's a great question. Um, curiosity for me is the number one thing. Um, I mean, I think about everyone that I'm most impressed by, people I've met or not met, uh, you know, people that I've admired from like historical figures on through current business people. Curiosity is what I am most blown away by. I'm, I'm rereading right now the Leonardo da Vinci biography by Walter Isaacson. He's one of my favorite writers, biographers. And in the very beginning of that, he talks about how in one of Leonardo da Vinci's journals, it literally says like written transcribed, it says, uh, describe the woodpecker's tongue 
It just says that on one of his pages as like one of his to do's for a day. Yeah. And he comments on the absurdity of anyone possibly needing to know anything about a woodpecker's tongue. Like, why did Leonardo da Vinci sit around one day thinking about what a woodpecker's tongue was like? Well, it's because that's who he was. He had an insatiable curiosity about the world around him. Mm -hmm. And that, more than anything else, is what enables you to be successful. Because you are just prone to be interested about the world around you, to go down those rabbit holes, to observe a freaking woodpecker's tongue, to learn something. But that same curiosity is what leads you to want to understand things about the human body that lead to incredible anatomical discoveries, that lead to painting the Mona Lisa because you understand eye structure and the smile and the face in a way that is so much deeper and more elegant than anyone else has ever known. Mm. That curiosity is what stands out to me. And that's like what I, I you see a smile on my face. I'm like, I get so, I mean, I read that at the beginning of that book and it hit me different the second time I read it. And I was just like, man, what a, what a cool thing yeah. that there have been people throughout history that have that. When you find that common thread, like you see it in Steve Jobs, um, you know, you see it in Benjamin Franklin, you see it like, I mean, these are all Walter Isaacson biographies now that I'm thinking mm -hmm. about it, but you see it as a common thread in society. Um, and that's what I want to be like, I, you know, I write the curiosity chronicle as my newsletter. That's the reason I care so deeply about curiosity. And when I think about my own life now and what I get to do on a weekly basis, it's literally that I get to explore my curiosity and mm -hmm. share what I'm learning along the way. That's what my bio says. It's what I do every single week. I read stuff. I talk to people. I go on walks and think about things. And I get to explore them and whether it's like stupid health stuff, like I'm getting in a cold plunge every single morning or going doing stupid workout things, or if it's talking to cool people like yourself, whatever it is, it's exploring curiosity. And so when I meet someone that I see that like kindred spirit in of their mm. curiosity, that really, really jumps out to me. Mm. You know, you know, when my mind goes, it's like the lessons are everywhere. And it goes back to what you were saying about Steve Jobs with like the calligraphy class. It's like you can learn something in one arena and the lessons, the foundation of what is there can be applied to something else. Like you can take something from the calligraphy class and apply it to business. And it's interesting, like one of my like idols growing up was Kobe Bryant. And it's interesting, like I studied like all of his interviews, like I would listen to what he says and you start to see these patterns in the way he thinks, in the way that he speaks. And people will ask him, they're like, um, when you had like bad games, like how did you bounce back? And he, he makes it so simple. It's always back to the foundation of like showing up at the gym, putting up a uh, hundred free throws, shooting from the el elbow jumper, three point line, like shooting these different shots. And it's like, one of the things I learned from it is that we add so much complexity to the world. And when we're going through these problems and they feel so real to us, a lot of the times, the reason it feels that we can't overcome it, we build this complexity in our mind. It seems so complicated. And he had this great habit of just making things simple, of just the foundation. And I think that's the reason why when you talk about curiosity and the things that you can learn, everything comes back to the foundation. And in every field, there's like a foundation, there's a basis. And if you can understand those principles, I think Naval talks about it as well, which is like, just understand the principles of like microeconomics, like philosophy, just understanding these things. And I think it relates really well to what you're saying about curiosity, because it's like, you can understand the principles of, of philosophy or something, 
and be able to apply that to your business. And I think about it from like a sports context as well, which is like, that's an edge. Cause people don't think like that. They're like, oh, I wanna, I wanna get better at business. I'm gonna read a business book or I'm gonna, like they wanna, it's very literal, but it's like, when I, maybe I'll just go for a walk in the forest for an hour and then I'll come back from that and I'll be able to apply something that I learned or something I saw in nature to my business. That's an edge. And, and here's, where I'm, here's where I'm going with that. One of the things I really like about your content, it's not just about like hustle, consistency, do all these things. There's also a side of it, which is like, take some time, like move a bit slower, move slow to move fast, go on walks. You talk a lot about like spending time with your son, with your wife. I'm curious, like, and maybe I can just get your take on all of that. But I'm curious about like that edge. What what even inspired you to, when did you realize that kind of doing things a different way, it can lead to like an outsized result. It can put you over the top. As a general rule of thumb, if you want average outcomes, do what the average person does. If everyone is reading business books to learn about business, go read a business book. If everyone's going to get a business degree and go to get an MBA in order to learn business, go get an MBA to learn business. And you'll, with a high degree of certainty, get an average outcome, which by the way, is totally fine. Like for the vast majority of people, I am convinced what they want in the world and what they want in life is to be able to take care of their family, you know, support their loved ones, be there for their children, et cetera. And that is an extraordinarily wealthy and amazing life for them. And I think that's fantastic. Like, Full stop. I mean, I, I contemplate whether I want that life. Like, I, I think that is fantastic. There are certain people that don't want that. They want to achieve those unbelievable, like, you know, top 1% type outcomes. If you want to do that, if that's what you're motivated by, if you're listening to this and you're like, that's what I want to do. I want to go be the Elon Musk or I want to go be the Tim Ferriss, whatever it is in whatever domain. If that's what you want, you have to do things differently mm. because doing the same way that everyone else does, you're going to get the exact same outcome. And so there's no shocker here that history's greatest successes, the most high achieving people throughout history, have lived slightly differently. They've done things a little bit differently. They're polymaths, right? They have like wide ranging interdisciplinary knowledge. Benjamin Franklin, you know, knew random things. Like he would study every single day for an hour. It's called the five hour rule. Uh, for an hour a day, he would learn about some random thing completely unrelated to his work. And that is a common thread among extremely high achievers because then you're taking those principles from these weird different areas and you're finding these connections that somehow relate to it. That is just like a golden rule of life if you want to achieve those 1% outcomes. And again, I'll like reiterate it. That's not for everyone. And that's totally fine if that's not for you. Like I am, hustle culture is fine if it's motivating the people that want to be motivated in that way that want to go and achieve those amazing outcomes that want to get really rich. Not everyone wants to get really rich. Mm. Everyone, mo everyone wants to be able to take care of their families and live a good life, go on a few vacations, have a home, you know, eat, obviously shelter, basic things taken care of, be around their family, love each other, all of those things. I think everyone wants it's universal. You don't need to be extraordinarily rich to do a lot of those things. And some people, you just want to live a good life and that's what you're aspiring for. And I think that's fantastic. If you want to be motivated in a hustle culture way, 
and you want to do things in a different way. I can tell you that message. That message is you got to do things differently hmm. and you have to go a different way and you have to experience things a different way in order to get those 10x upside opportunities. I'm wired more that way. I want to I want to impact hundreds of millions of billion people during the course of my life. I'm not going to do that doing the same thing that everyone does. It's just mm. not going to happen. It's mm. impossible. That's just how I'm wired. That's what I want to do. It's not about money for me, actually. It has nothing to do with money. If you told me I wasn't going to make more than I am today, but that I could impact a billion people, I would take that. I mm. would go and do that. Um, I would rather that than make a billion dollars and impact no one. Mm. Full stop. Mm. No question. Um, and that's important to me. But you know, to come back to the point on like walking, free time, that's the other side of me, right? Like I have that hustle culture in me. I'm still wired that way. I still have like a little bit of a crazy gene in me. Mm. The other side of me is I like to go on a lot of walks. I walk 20,000 steps a day with my son. Go out on walks, stop. You know, you see there's a tree in the corner here. My son will stop and stare at that thing for like five minutes, <laughs> touching it, experiencing it, like seeing the veins in that thing. Yeah. I'll stop and look at that thing with him for five minutes and realize that I would have glazed by that tree nine times out of 10 for the rest of my life. I never would have looked at it. I just like, it's a tree, right? It yeah. just, we, we don't observe those kind of things. But when you see, and when you have to slow down, you're forced because you're with a kid and that's how they're learning. That's how they're experiencing the world. You start seeing these unbelievably beautiful things in the world. Mm. And I don't know what I'm going to learn from this tree. Maybe there's something I randomly learned from it that leads to me writing about something this week. Maybe my newsletter ends up being about pausing and slowing down. I don't know what I'm going to write about next week. Maybe that's going to be my newsletter next week yeah. because I just thought about it because I stopped for on a walk with my son. And so all of those things, that slowing down, the speeding up, the hustle culture, the slowing down, taking time, pausing, they all contribute in some way to the broader ecosystem of what you're doing and what you're talking about and what you're building. And it's important for you to identify, you said it earlier, like the simplicity in Kobe Bryant, right? Like he knew, okay, there was just this beautiful simplicity in it. It's so important for you as an individual, whoever you are, to identify what you want. Like mm. what does success look like to you? Is it those top 1% outcomes or is it taking care of your family and having a good life and a good like wealthy life in that way? And knowing that, you can back into what your daily you know, systems, what it has to look like in order for you to achieve that. And that's what matters, right? Like, I don't want to work 90, 100 hours a week. So if you told me like, hey, you can start a startup and make a billion dollars, I would say, hell no, man, because I don't want to work 90, 100 hours a week. I did that in finance. I don't want to do that again. I'm mm -hmm. good. Like, I want to hang out with my son. Like, if I could you know, work 30 hours a week, 20 hours a week and hang out with my son a lot during these years where he loves me and where he really cares about me in the way that he does now, mm. I'll take that trade. I don't need the money. I'm good. Like I'd much rather experience these years with my son. Some people, they don't feel that way. They would feel like, oh, I want the money. I want to go do that. I want to achieve the thing where people are talking about me in the newspapers, whatever. And that's great too. Mm. But the point is you have to know what you care about. You have to know mm. what your values are, what your principles are, what you're focused on, what success looks like for you. You have to identify that clearly, write it down, like really, really understand it because that's what guides everything else that the different pieces in your life. Mm. You know, what I think is the difficulty with that. As people were multifaceted. So like you even, you even said it, right? Which is, it, it's almost... It's not a contradiction, but there's a there's a hustle there's a hustle side of you, and then there's a there's a let me enjoy this family time, let me relax with my son, let me go on a walk, and those two things, if you're just gonna say it, they seem in conflict. So it's like the beautiful thing in life, man, is dispelling binary thinking. This is my new it, thing. Go into it. Yeah. This is my new thing. 
binary thinking is like this very natural thing that humans do. Like we see night and we see day. Mm. And the reality is there's also dusk and dawn, right? There's like shades of gray that exist in between that. But our minds are training us and are telling us evolutionarily to think in black and white, like to think you're either a terrible person, you're going to try to kill me, or you're my friend and I love you and you're next to me. There's no in between. And social media exacerbates that problem, right? It's like you're either right wing or you're left wing. It's just the polar opposites. You're on one end or the other. And the reality of life is all shades of gray, everything. Dispelling that binary thinking from your life and just embracing those internal tensions and the tensions that exist in who Mm -hmm. you are as an individual is one of the most freeing and incredible things you can do. For me to be able to embrace that I have this like weird, psycho, hardwired, success, you know, driven hustle culture bro gene and mentality in me that also exists alongside the guy that wants to wake up every morning and sit there with my son in bed for 10 minutes, just making him smile and hearing him laugh and not have a care in the world about getting out of bed because I got to go do a million things. Those two people existing in the same body, that's a new thing for me. And Mm. it is an amazing thing for me. Mm. Like that's the same guy that sits there in bed for 10 minutes and then gets out of bed and gets into a damn cold plunge, 39 degrees, sitting on my deck in the pitch black Mm. because I want to go do something hard to start the day. That's weird, right? Like those two (laughs) things should not exist in the same person. And and even now you're like laughing at it because it's crazy. It doesn't (laughs) make any sense. It's weird. My wife thinks it's weird. But like when you are able to transcend that binary thinking in some way and just embrace the internal tensions of who you are and the way that you want to live and just view it from first principles about like how do I want to live my life I'm going to hustle when I'm hustling god like I'm really going to hustle on that but I don't want I don't want to work 80 hours I just don't want to do it man and Mm -hmm. if it means like I make half as much you know 30 percent as much whatever like that's not a trade I'm willing to make to be honest like I, I just I don't care enough. I don't think that's true, by the way. Like, I think if I really hustle and have the highest leverage possible on the time that I am working, I don't think it is a trade. I think they're false trade-offs that we create in our minds. Mm. But identifying that and being able to embrace those tensions and just transcend that binary thinking is a massive, massive unlock for everybody. Yeah. You know what's interesting? I love that word, the, the tension. Because I think usually when you think about tension, there's a negative connotation to that. And I remember listening to this interview, um, I think it was Phil Jackson, like the legendary coach, coach of the Lakers, uh, the Bulls. And they asked him about Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant. And the fact, cause they were always like butting heads to get like, they were always butting heads, right? And I, I, I think it was actually Shaq that was saying it. He said, Phil would tell him things that he knew was of uh, that Kobe had said that like he knew was going to make him mad. <laughs> and, and, and Shaq was saying the same thing that he would say certain things to Kobe, like call him like little man or something yeah. like that would get him mad because they knew they needed that tension. And I think Shaq even said, he was like, after I would say that to Kobe, he'd go out and score like 35. Yeah. Like he would be tearing it up. And it's this weird thing where it's like, there's so much, the, the best things come from that tension. You need like these things that are almost, there's like a friction to it. Um, I'm a big believer in friction. In yeah. Life. I think we need that. Like there's an obsessive desire to remove friction from our lives. Every, all the progress, quote unquote, that's been made 
has been removing friction from our lives. Everything is getting easier. You don't have to go to the store anymore. You can order online. You don't have to call mm -hmm. a car anymore. You can just do it on your phone. You're like, you don't have to leave the house to shop. You can just have it all sent to you by Amazon. All of these things have reduced tension, reduced friction in our lives. At some point, that obsessive optimization leads to a reduction in your self-worth. You start experiencing zero friction because you realize at some point along the way, the friction was actually what created meaning in your life, what created that texture. And so I am a big believer in like reinserting in strategic places friction into your life. It's why I get in the cold plunge every morning. It's a point of friction in my life that sucks every single morning. It's never fun. I'm never like, oh, I want to get up. It's pitch black outside. It's cold. Now it's cold in New York. It's sitting outside. Water's 39 degrees. It sucks. Like fight or flight every single morning. Awful. But I do it because it's a point of friction in my life that is important to me to experience little bits of friction added back into your life are important. Michael Jordan's famous for this, man. Like that exact same thing that you said with, uh, with, uh, Kobe and Shaq, Jordan used to like create mind games for himself, man. He mm. would like say, Oh, that guy like slighted me. Like that guy talked shit to me that one game, like last year at the beginning of the year, like the guy said something in preseason and they're playing each other in the playoffs. And Jordan still had that in his mind. Like he's still telling himself that recently I was going through my book process uh, to, you know, to get this book deal and there had been a book agent who, um, hadn't really liked my concept and it, totally fine, like totally reasonable that she didn't like the concept. And, um, in my mind, I was like playing a game. I was like, I'm going to prove her wrong. Like that was all that was motivating. It's a stupid thing, but I had to play that little mind game. I was like, that was pushing me to go through the process and crush it. And when I did, that was the first thing that was on my mind was like, damn, yeah, I proved her wrong. Like that was what I was excited about. Cause like that was the mind game that I was playing. And so if you're wired that way, sometimes those mind games, like creating yeah. that tension is the most powerful thing to like push you through to that next phase. Yeah. It's, it's, um, such a funny thing and i think especially when i think especially for people that are like into sports you 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 definitely get into it um it's funny because like my older brother we always joke about like how when i was growing up i would have and i have it now still to be honest like chip on my shoulder like these um we would play football against each other like every day in the garden i would lose every day for like 15 years. I remember the first time we like, there was one game I like drew with him. Like it was like a tie. And I was like the greatest moment of my life basically. Um, but it's so important just to, it's like you don't appreciate things unless you like fight for it. Even living in New York, I hear a lot of people say like, it's just kind of tough. Like it's the, the, the most basic things like living in the city, like it's a, it's a grind but you appreciate it so much more because that tension and that friction and that difficulty is there. It's a pretty fundamental uh, point in life actually right now. And um, Dr. Huberman has talked about this a few times that we should run away from dopamine that comes without struggle. Mm. What that means is like dopamine is, you know, the like chemical that gets released and makes you feel happy and you feel good. Anytime you are experiencing a dopamine hit that didn't result from struggle, you mm. have to run in the other direction because those mm. things are all bad. Those things are like alcohol. Those things are like uh, pornography. Those things are like social media scrolling over and over again. It's giving you dopamine hits over and over and over again without the associated struggle. If the struggle was there and if you went through the struggle to experience the dopamine, it's a very positive chemical reaction and experience but we have to run away from the things that are creating dopamine hits without the struggle. So like mm -hmm. when I get a dopamine hit, when I get out of the cold plunge in the morning, I went through a struggle to achieve that dopamine hit. Mm -hmm. When I get a dopamine hit because of 
you know, wrestling with a piece of writing for a long period of time and people give me good feedback on it, that's a great one. But when I'm getting a dopamine hit because I'm sitting around like scrolling over and over again on social media to see how many likes something got or like seeing the new video or whatever it is, like doom scrolling in the morning, bad, bad cycle. Because it just starts repatterning your brain in a bad way that you don't need to have struggle in order to experience dopamine, which is so counter to how humans evolved and the way that we evolved naturally. Mm. You know, and maybe we can, I feel like this is a, this is a good place for us almost to, to take it. When I listen to you speak, something that comes through consistently, it's like the self-control, like being able to control your own mind. It's like, even when you talk about the cold plunge, it's like, I decided to do this. This is what I'm doing. It's like with the, when you're talking about writing, it's like, I don't know where this is going to lead, but this is how I'm doing it. This is what we're doing. I'm dedicating myself every day for a number of years to doing this. That That's the key, right? Like I remember even coming into this, into this episode, I was like, I wonder what he would say is like his superpower. I'm curious, what, what would you say is your superpower? Would it exactly be this? what you just said. Nice. When I do something, I'm, I'm just gonna do it. And there's absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. And it's gonna piss my family off, piss people <laughs> off around me because I'm gonna be a stubborn prick about it. But when I create that identity in my mind that I'm the type of person that does that thing, I'm just gonna do it. Like I don't, you know, every single morning, I get up to go in that cold plunge and I'm like, man, I don't want to go in and I could not go in and no one would know. Not a single person in the world would know or ever yeah. find out. My wife wouldn't even know. She's downstairs with a kid. I would know. Mm -hmm. And that's all that matters to me because I would no longer be the type of person that does the thing that I mm -hmm. said that I was going to do. And that matters to me more than anything else in the world that I am the type of person that when I say I'm going to do something that I step up and I do it. And that stands for stupid things like going in a cold punch. It stands for being a father, type of father that I want to be and waking up every day and being there for my son and protecting him in the way that I want to for everything that I do in life. And I don't think there is anyone in the world that could have that same mentality around as many things as I do. And I don't say that in an arrogant way at all, by the way. I'm not saying that as like I'm the best in the world at something. I don't think I'm the best in the world at anything. But I know that when I commit to something, I'm doing it on every on every single level of my life. I'm doing it with my diet. I'm going to do it with the fitness things I'm doing. I'm going to do it with being a parent. I'm going to do it with my writing. I'm going to do I mean, I'm going to just grind into the ground on all of these things with consistency. I'm not going to be flashier. I'm not going to be better at any of those one things. I'm not going to be the toughest. I'm not going to be the strongest and biggest, whatever. I'm not going to be the best in any one of those areas, but I'm going to do it all. And mm. I'm going to do it every single day. And I'm not going to stop until I change my identity to something else. And that to me is like, if I have a superpower, that's what it is, is mm. you're just going to see me. I'm just going to show up every single day. I always say this, like never bet against the guy that just shows up every single day. I've always felt that that was who I was. And so I defined myself that way. I said, I'm just going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy that just shows up every single day. And you're going to have a really damn hard time knocking me out for that mm. reason. Cause I'm just going to show up. Yeah. That's like a frightening competitor. Like I, yeah, you I don't want to go into the arena. I, with yeah, that guy. I think about, I think <laughs> about that. Like I'll watch, um, boxing or the UFC. And I just think like, imagine you stepped in the ring with someone that you thought you knocked them out. 
and you're like celebrating with the crowd. And then you look back and the motherfucker's just getting back. Did up you see again. that Tyson Fury fight yeah, that's against how, that's Deontay Wilder? I was, like, I was watching that at a bachelor party and Deontay Wilder knocked him the F out. Man. Yeah. I mean, like he was dead. I was like, uh, we all went nuts. I was yeah. like, oh, Deontay Wilder like, knocked him out. And then he down, just got up. Yeah. Like and you were like, and you saw the look on Deontay Wilder's face. It like, he flushed him, man. Because you see someone get up from that. You just knocked them the hell out and they got up. You're like, that, damn. It like, must, that must be fear, It right? takes the breath out it of you. Must I mean, be you're f- like, oh my God, this guy just got up. And yeah. like, no one gets up from that punch. Some guy did. And so, I mean, I, I agree with you, man. I don't, I, you, you, you do not want to go into the arena with, with someone that is wired that way. I think it's, um, but again, it's like, look, it's a mentality on life and it doesn't apply to one thing for me. It applies to everything. That's how I want to be. And it's something I've come into. I was always crazy about certain things. I had it with like fitness for a long time. I had it with diet, had it with baseball. I was really committed to it. Had to redefine as things broke. Um, I would say I only really developed it around relationships, around being a father recently as I've become a father. Being an amazing father means being an amazing husband um, that I tie together in my mind because I need to be like, you know, a king to my wife in order to, um, you know, give her and my son the life that I want to that I want to. That's very mm. important to me now. Um, I was immature as a kid. You know, we were dating. Like I was immature. I was like, I was a kid, man. I was an mm. idiot. Um, and now I look back on that. Do I regret it? Yeah, sure. But I'm the type of person that I want to be today, and that's mm. what matters. Um, but look, uh, when you can control your mind, that's the most powerful weapon in the world, man. Mm. Um, and I'm not some like meditation guru or anything i don't like have some like ninja powers of focus or any of those things but i know that when i set my mind to something i'm just gonna do it and doesn't mean i'm gonna do it the best doesn't mean i'm gonna do it flashier again it doesn't mean i'm gonna like you know wow anyone with my intelligence or my flashes of you know brilliance or intensity but i'm damn well gonna show up every single day and do it Mm. and again very very hard to beat that person Mm. I love it. Let's end. Let's end on that. I love it, man. I love it. <laughs> this was a blast. Do, man. Yeah, th- this was a lot of fun. We need to do a part two. Huh? So we need to yeah, do a part I'm down, two. man. This was a blast. This was seriously it was one of the most fun conversations I've had. Yeah. On a, on a pod, I, it's like I'm gonna share the shit out of this. It's really, really good. <laughs> I seriously, appreciate it, awesome. man. I you, you were awesome. It. I appreciate um, it. I wouldn't have. I would have never known that this was the first time that you had done this in person. <laughs> this was great. You know. You know what? It's kind of crazy. I, we didn't I even like I, touch any. I mean, we like went all around. Your yeah, we went everywhere. It was fun, yeah. And I'm like, I need to do every interview in person. Now, yeah, you got it's, to. it's just a different, it's a different vibe for sure. Completely different. Yeah, this vibe. is still going to be the best one, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> first do. one you do is always do. the best. Yeah, and yeah, then it's yeah, like do. downhill. You do. Yeah. We no, got on, we got on one for sure though, man. That yeah, was that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, was that was a awesome. blast. 